Welcome back to Cover to Cover. Yeah, we are back after a lengthy absence for us, thanks to the holidays and uh, Rob going to Wrestle K. So we had we had some things going on, but we are back. And uh, I know some people have uh, been waiting for us to come back, and we're glad that you are loving the show enough to be asking about it when we're coming back. So we're here. I'm your, your host, Chris Zona, joined by my co-host on these shows, Rob Naylor. Rob, yes, uh, it's been a busy few weeks, but here we are, and we're going to have some fun tonight. Very excited. Uh, at WrestleCade, the high spots people had a giant corner where there was just boxes and boxes of old wrestle ma- like wrestling magazines, and really had to stop myself from buying them, because I already bought like a six-disc Tiger Mask DVD set, so I'd already bought that. I'm like, ah, I don't want to get like 30 more bucks of uh, wrestling mags. I didn't do it, but there was a lot of main event ones there, I will say. I, I thought about it. Ah, you're tempted. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I'm pretty sure that there were a lot of wrestling magazines floating around that uh, that event over the weekend, so uh, so yeah, a lot, of, a lot of content there. But anyway... This t- this show we're gonna have our earliest wrestling magazine that we've covered so far, as uh we had our latest one on the previous show, but we're going to 1984 now, the War of '84, and we have Pro Wrestling Illustrated June 1984, where our cover is Ted DiBiase with holding his claw hand with black glove, saying the carnage continues. Why the NWA is afraid to stop Ted DiBiase. So that's our lead story. Then our uh, <clears throat> other headlines here: press conference with Hulk Hogan, Mr. Wrestling's t- Mr. Wrestling 2's explosive story, Magnum TA is turning bad. So we'll have that, and then we have Kim Patera and Crusher Blackwell, or they know this time the Sheiks versus the Rock and Roll Express. Will Sheik and Nano Casey's greed destroy his AWA Tag Team Champions? Well, we'll find out as we go along. Plus, we have a giant full-color pinup of Dick Slater and special to Pro Wrestling Illustrated, WWF Arena Results, which in this era, that's all they had in the Arena Results section. So, yes, 1984. Color pinup of Dick Slater or your third-grade lunch lady. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Maybe minus the Confederate flag for the lunch lady, depending upon where you live in the... You know well, no Confederate flag here. He's not the rebel yet. He does have the. I'm looking at it right now. He does have the black bandana uh, wrapped around his head, his helmet hair that he had at the time, and he has uh, his fist balled up, one fist heavily taped. So awesome. He was poster. one of the guys who would hit the big elbow smash off the second while the guy's vertical waiting for it. Yes. Which I think was a good, good little move that no one really does anymore. Dick Slater did a lot of stuff like that. I mean, yeah, he, he did a lot of Terry Funk stuff, but he did a lot of things that you just don't see anymore. And it's a, lost, a, lot of, a lot of today's wrestlers, and I'm pretty sure you can go along with this, a lot of today's wrestlers, you know, they watch, you know, 90s wrestling, All Japan, ECW, watch 2000s wrestling. I think a lot more of them need to, like, look back at some of the 80s stuff and see some of these things that were regular moves and psychology that you know hasn't been used in a long time and could be refreshed now yeah that's even more so with nxt because i mean we do we did they do the skull sessions obviously where you have access to all the 
eighties and seventies wrestling. And Terry Taylor was always a huge proponent of watching those older matches. And even back to Ricky Starr, believe it or not, just for movement in the ring. So uh, they, they watch it. You just don't, don't really see much of it applied. It seems, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know, you know, they, they, they certainly watch enough of that stuff, but it's more like early two thousands, uh, early 2010 PWG style, I guess. Instead, yeah, which that's the new thing. I'm not complaining, but it's just, it's just interesting that like, <laughs> 80s Mid-South wrestling has been rotated out of the Skull Sessions for BOLA 2014. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's all good. It's crazy how the world works sometimes. Yes, sir. All right, we'll begin with Between Falls, which is the letters to the editor. And our first letter here is Reinstate Tommy. An open letter to all wrestling fans. If you are truly a sincere wrestling fan, then you're reading this. Only sincere, devoted, I'd do anything for the sport fans, read Pro Wrestling Illustrated. A true wrestling fan also watches World Championship Wrestling on TBS every Saturday. That's the truth. Therefore, you all know by now that Tommy Wi-Fi Rich is no longer wrestling. That is why I am writing this letter. Tommy signed the contract to wrestle Ted DiBiase on Christmas Day in the Omni. The contract stated that the loser of the match would never wrestle again. Tommy lost the match. The contract was challenged once. And it was announced on the New Year's Eve broadcast of WCW that the contract was legal. Tommy's career had come to an end. Wrestling fans all over the world must now pull together to get Wildfire back to doing what he loves best, wrestling. We must write to NWA President Bob Geigel. We must write to TBS in Atlanta. We must write to our favorite wrestling magazines. We must do anything and everything possible to get Tommy reinstated. There must be a mistake that DiBiase made somewhere. Somehow that contract must be illegal. Tommy, if you're reading this, I want you to know that your fans will stand 150% behind you. Let's go, fans. Let's show Tommy how much we all really love him. Do your part to get Wildfire back in the wrestling. Signed, Judy Grondin, Federal Way, Washington. Yes, the DBRC Rich feud had reached to a point quickly where they had the big match of Christmas Night in the Omni where Rich and DBRC, if they lost the match, would never wrestle again. And Rich lost. And then New Year's Eve WCW, there was like a, a show of mourning, which uh, that's, I have uh, that stuff on YouTube, by the way, on my YouTube channel. And uh, Freddie Miller sadly uh, stated to Gordon Sully, there's nothing more we can do. Tom, this contract is legal. Tommy can never wrestle again. Oh, God. And then, of course, <laughs> it's just a matter of time. A week or two. Mr. R. When hey. Mr. R shows up, who, there who looks uh, a lot like Tommy Rich. So. What what is your thoughts on these type of angles? I mean, th- in this era, we've already had uh, Stagger Lee in, in Mid South. We've had the Midnight Rider in Florida with Dusty, and we had Coco Where Do Stagger Lee in Memphis. So we've had this angle. This is the first time it's gone really national. So what's your thoughts on on the guy that loses the big step match and then comes back out in the mask? I like it, but you forgot Uvaldi Slim, which is another dusty well, one. Um, okay, the thing with Uvaldi Slim, though, was that was in that was in Georgia. Um, you know, you use it in Florida, but that was in Georgia um, in 1980 with o- Ole and Gene. And Uvaldi Slim had to come in and help uh, get rid of the Anderson. But yeah, that's, yeah, that's Dusty's first one. You're right. Here's the thing. I enjoy these, whether it's Yellow Dog, Barry Windham, Yellow Dog, Brian Pillman, and WCW years later. The Midnight Rider, the original Midnight Rider angle, 
where Dusty got beat on what was Christmas with Jake the Snake of Santa Claus and you Santa and jumps off the balcony try to get him and they rioted and Dusty's gone forever and and then basically he comes back as the Midnight Rider and I like the idea as the Midnight Rider bad motherfucker and he's gonna seek vengeance and he has he's not nice he doesn't like the fans he's just a tough guy you know and then when they brought the Midnight Rider back in 88 sorry guys I loved it you know they he destroyed the job guys he gave Tony Stuber a DDT on a fucking steel chair, which they sold like death. And he sat atop the ropes and gave his little speech. And Magnum was there and the horse, Dust Diablo. Yeah, get the horse. Diablo, the fuck it was, which is fantastic. That's some good shit. I don't, I guess they kind of pulled the plug on it real fast because it wasn't drawn, but like, I don't I'd let that, you know, simmer a little longer. I enjoyed it. I, 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 I agree with you. I thought it was, I thought it was good. I like all this shit. Charlie Brown from Charlie out of Brown town, town, Jimmy Valley. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now later on, Mr. America. Mm-hmm. I'm not a I'm not a Hogan person, but I thoroughly enjoyed that. You had the machines. I don't even think Andre was suspended, he but was. you had the machines. He was suspended. Okay, well, there it is. Yeah. Well, why was he suspended? Um, because he attacked an official. Oh God. They should have done a bigger suspension angle because the fact that I remember the machine so well and I don't remember the suspension is funny. But, uh, yeah, you know, I like all that kind of stuff. We're coming back with a mask. Man, I I, <laughs> I think it's great, especially when it's obvious, like like Andre or Hulk Hogan or, you know, Jimmy Valiant with a goddamn beard coming out of the bottom of his mask <laughs> as if it's anyone well, what else. What set this one, though, <laughs> apart, though, is – we had one of the more memorable moments of that era on TBS is when DiBiase wrestled Mr. R for the national title and then being Brad Armstrong, where Tommy Rich comes out on the set wearing the same tracksuit that Mr. R was wearing, waving at DiBiase as Brad under the mask pinned him and became national heavyweight champion. Yep, great, great. And then you remember the James Boys. Oh, okay. I can't forget <laughs> the that. Risk- yeah, the James Boys. That was Jim Magnum, and one time they did the same thing, but it was like Nelson Royal and Sam Houston as the body double. Sam Houston. Yeah, 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 which is which is great. So, yeah, I, I love all that kind of subterfuge, chicanery bullshit with yeah. the good guys. I'd like to see a bad guy do it. It would be like a totally different story if you think about it. I'm trying to think if it – I think that's been done. And I'm drawing a blank. I can't think of the top. I can't yeah. think of one though. It's funny. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank on it. You think between us two, we would pick one out, but I mean, I can't think I'll of one. I'm ahead. Uh, I mean, it's been done because uh, yeah. I know it's been done. But I can't remember who did. Piper, Piper did it uh, in Los Angeles. He was the Can- mass Canadian. That's one. Uh, there you go. The 70s. Cornette wore the mask only because he shaved Correct. his head. It was yes. embarrassed, right? Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. All right. There you go. All right, uh, we have another letter here titled, A Dundee Hater. I used to be Bill Dundee's biggest fan, but now I hate him. I'm glad Steve Kern ran him out of the area. The only reason he turned bad was because he was jealous of the success of the Rock and Roll Express, the Fabulous Ones, Jerry Law, and all the rest. Well, they can all wrestle better than Dundee any day of the week. You know, Dundee is really just a little person with a big mouth. He's lower than Jimmy Hart. He's even lower than Ted DiBiase. As far as I'm concerned, and that is low. Dundee is the worst. Signed Sharon Wright, Owensboro, <laughs> Kentucky. I thought it was going to be signed uh, Rick Gantner, <laughs> but no. That would be a Dundee hater from 1992, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, Dundee had turned heel in Memphis. Uh, 
in 83. And uh, this is the deal where, where he is, uh, he, he took on a, the bodyguard, Harley Davidson, which was Jim Moore, Billy Jim. <laughs> and they did a loosely town deal with Steve Kern because Dundee was leaving to go book for Bill Watts. So it was pretty much an abrupt angle. And that's what, and that's what happened. Yeah. So there you go. But yeah, Bill Dundee, hmm. the thing about Dundee was him turning heel in 83 was a much needed boost to his career. Because he had been a Bayface for a long time in Memphis, he turns heel and he's you know he started you you had the you know legendary loosely town match with Lawler that year and then he comes back and he's still the cocky prick. Um, yeah, I I love the heel Dundee stuff in this era. Yeah, Dundee's a weird one for me because like Babyface youthful <laughs> Dundee in the seventies with Nick Bockwinkle in Memphis is so fucking good, and then Dundee. The big Lawler match in '83, the big Lawler match in '85, uh, Dundee and Buddy Landell as heels in '86 and '87 with Crockett, I suppose. Or Dundee went with G- Jimmy Garvin and Crockett also. Yeah. But like Dundee's one of the few wrestlers who I turned on big time. Like I'd say right around 1990, I just was like, oh, he's so boring. I don't like watching him. And I would just, I would watch these USWA shows and just really. Tune out, Here's the you thing, know. And I, let's see if you, I'm gonna see if you agree with this. Dundee could still could still work that? like a motherfucker, but Dundee's a guy who got old really quick. Yeah, I think that has to be it because he would bounce all around in earlier days. And I mean, honestly, I can't even say I don't like Bill Dundee as a character because I thought Sir William with Regal was fucking fantastic. Oh, yeah, yeah, but something something about Bill Dundee <clears throat> in like ninety to ninety four. Four ninety three ish. I just, I, I just was out. I was checked out, and that that goes for a lot of the talent at that time. But uh, Eric Embry was another one of those guys who, by the way, Eric Embry was at uh, Wrestlecade, which oh, is yeah. cool. I didn't see, him, but he was there reportedly. Oh. But you know, remember Eric Embry in World Class bumping all around like a maniac with the Fantastics and the light heavyweight <clears throat> title, and then like one ninety two. It just was different, and of course, those hard ass rings in Texas and Memphis and everything. You know, I'm I'm sure they had to modify their style. So how dare I, as a fan? Oh, you see, I got yelled at for basically. I put all the big wrestlers. I can you say fat guys anymore? I put all like the big wrestlers on my Twitter. I was like, here's my favorite giants. You know, I was nice about it. it was pro, you know, four hundred pound guys. I'm like, I'd like to see more big guys in wrestling. And someone's like, you want to see people have heart attacks and oh, die? God, like, oh, no. Oh. And they're just like, man. yeah, I don't want to be a cardiologist, but, you know, that, that's not right. People, they can't be that big and, and live a good life. I'm like, motherfucker, I just want to see fat guys in wrestling again. Like, it's not, I'm not trying to get too political with it. No, I'm just saying I enjoy that. variety. That's one thing about, you know, what's great about the territory days. You can go to shows and. Like, that's all right. Chris, real quick, I'm off because it's like everyone's like, oh, inclusion. We need to have inclusion, and everyone need we need big people need role models too. What the <laughs> fuck? Like, why not? Why not have the big guys? You know, Ace Romero's one, Puff is another one, but they're great, really big guys. Not do I want them to have heart attacks or something bad happen. Absolutely not. But there's a lot of big guys who died of natural causes there's in a wrestling. Lot of the guy brought up King Kong. Yeah, yeah, as well as little guys. So it's like a lot of the big guys who died in wrestling died because of other things. You know, Yokozuna notwithstanding, but you know, I just I just thought that was funny. I had to bring that up off uh, of the yeah, Bill yeah, Dundee yeah. reference. I mean, wrestling needs that variety. It just goes to show that people will fight you over. You could say the sky is blue on the internet, 
And my God, that purple contingent's going to come out of the fucking woodwork and just get on your ass twice about it. I'm like, That's dude. Why I, I pay no attention just to like, people like that. Oh, man. It's, they weren't like that contentious with it, but I just I thought, oh, my God. I just tried to post like four big guys. And when you see who other big guys people like, it just turned into like, do you not care about their cardiovascular? I'm like, no, not really. I'm just a wrestling fan who likes big wrestlers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> I mean that's your that's your entertainment. <laughs> I mean, whatever, whatever, you know. So so whatever, man. It's like saying, oh, I, I'm not gonna like any of the '80s top guys because they are all steroid abusers and God help their health, you know. By me buying that Lex Luger T-shirt, I'm only, uh, <laughs> I'm basically allowing him to continue. How dare you steroids. enjoy like, uh, Road Warrior Honk matches or? I still have ripped all the posters off my wall of all the greased up roid guys back yeah, in the Rick '80s. Rude, Kurt Henning, <laughs> all those guys. God forbid. Lord. Oh man. Yeah. Screw all that. <laughs> Alright. <clears throat> Let's go to ringside with Bill Apter. You know, the hard hard All right. Following a bizarre series of events in the Carolina, that's the Mid Atlantic Championship belt has now run the waist of Angelo Mosca Jr. Until early January, both the Mid Atlantic title and US heavyweight title belonged to Dick Slater. But Slater decided he didn't want to be bothered defending both titles, so he gave the Mid Atlantic title to Ivan Koloff on the grounds that in his own words Koloff is the only other man in Mid-Atlantic at the time that deserves such an honor. So Koloff was Mid-Atlantic champion, but not for long. On January 3rd in Spencer, North Carolina, Koloff was upset by Mosca Jr. Mosca Jr. said he owes all of his success to his father. Dad's been absolutely great to me, Mosca Jr. said. He's helped me with my training. He's helped me improve my technique and speed in the ring. And he's worked me in the gym to help oh, build my stamina. Boy, without his help, I'd never won that title. Angelo Sr. is overjoyed with his son's success. What an achievement. What a match. What a boy, he boasted. My son, the Midland champion, he pinned Koloff. It's great. It's great, I tell you. It's absolutely great. This kid has got a future. I'm telling you, my boy's going to be NWA world champion someday. Well, no, he ain't. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Angelo Mosca Jr., one of the all-time worst wrestlers in the history of wrestling. Nice guy, from what I've heard, but horrible wrestler. There's the there's the wrestler reverse burial. Nice guy, but... <laughs> His thing, I've never seen an Angelo Mosca Jr. match in my entire life. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he didn't really look the part too much, and his dad I was not a big fan of in any way. So, whatever. What's the funny thing about this whole angle was uh, Sl- Slater redid this whole angle two years later in Mid South, with uh, where he was the North American champion and the TV champion, and he gave the TV title to Buzz Sawyer. And they did a creative deal around it where he signed over the rights to defend the title to Buzz Sawyer, but the contract actually said he signed over the rights to defend the North American heavyweight title to Buzz Sawyer. So Slater ended up losing both belts. Sawyer got to defend the North American title against Duggan. Duggan beat him. So yeah, Slater went from having two titles and no titles in the span of one television show. I'm not the <laughs> – you're going to be surprised at this. I'm not even a critic of that angle. I mean there's stuff that's been done later in wrestling that I think devalues titles. <laughs> but I remember when Mike Rotundo – Rotundo was Florida champion and TV champion. He just gave Rick Steiner the Florida <laughs> title. I kind of like that stuff. You know, I, I think – yeah, to the purest, it does kind of devalue the belt. But it's a tool being used to kind of 
further something. Now, of course, nothing ever was further to the Rick Stein. They just dropped the fucking belt. However, on paper, I like the idea. And see, the thing is, Slater, you know, kept the U.S. title here. So, I mean, it was different than the way it was in in Mid-South. In Mid-South, it was to screw the heel. And the guy doing it, you know, it's Dick Slater who, you know, had some booking influence at the time in in the territory. So that's where this, you know, of course, this single came from. So the heel got screwed. He lost the belts without having to lose a match. And then they came back and did. They came back and did him and Duggan for the title, and Duggan beat him in matches for the title. Then, and the guy who keeps the title, it only elevates the title he's holding by making it more important than the other title. So I think there's there's a plus to doing that angle. Yeah, it and it worked. It worked absolutely. It worked. So, but yeah, Angela Musca Jr. Horrible, horrific. All right, <laughs> the Road Warriors have regained the national tag team titles from Brett and Buff Sawyer. The Warriors prime manager, Fresh Paul Ellery, noted that it's high time the national tag titles return to the Legion of Doom. Hawk and Elm are two of the most awesome physical specimens in the wrestling world today, who two incredible men represent all that is finest about professional sports. And what's most exciting about the Warriors regaining the titles, Ellery added, is that they managed to run Bustler out of town into the hospital. Isn't it too bad about the little mad dog? Isn't it shameful that he had to put his tail between his hind legs and run like the scared rabbit he truly is? And let us be a warning anyone who chooses to cross paths with precious Paul Ring and his Legion of Doom, as they will serve you all the same fate that has befallen both Sawyer. Beware one and all. Now, we talked about this on the show before, about how you had these little th- quotes from, supposedly from the wrestlers. This is one time where I read these quotes and I actually think I can see Paul Ellering saying everything there. Oh, yeah. Because Paul Ellering was that verbose guy, you know? He had like he had the gift of gab. He would use big words and be, was eloquent in his speaking. <clears throat> yeah, he was. He and he would bellow and it, he he was like deranged when he was managed uh, when he managed Buzz Sawyer too. He he came across as like a good nut. So I like that. I would like Buzz Sawyer to have a goddamn partner worth his salt instead of fucking the bubblegum <laughs> kid. But Buzz Sawyer and Brett Sawyer against the Road Warriors is one of the earliest Road Warriors feuds. It's a shame that like Rob Rex Steiner wasn't in the area or sent down from Vern to be part of that because early Rick Steiner and Buzz against the Road Warriors would have been a lot well, of fun. Rob Rex Steiner was uh, wrestling for University of Michigan at this point in time, so he wasn't even a pro yet. Really? Oh, okay. I didn't yeah, know that. He wasn't even in the business yet, um, but he would be in the next year. Uh, Buzz the babyface in Georgia. God, he got over so damn quick. I mean, he went from being the, the the number one psychotic heel to being right there as the top baby faces in Georgia in a, in an instant. Amazing to watch. And if you if you've never seen it, go watch on W Network uh, <clears throat> the show from the Omni uh, after Last Battle of Atlanta, where he wrestled Abdul the Butcher, and then he uh, saved Brett after the match that Brett and Dusty had against the Road Warriors, and that Omni crowd was just going ape shit. For Buzz and everything he did, man. What a, I mean, what a over baby face. I'm learning so much here because I've seen none of this. Like, I don't even know about any of this. Because remember, this is a year before I got into wrestling. And I like to think I, I, I learned a lot more about eras I wasn't around for. But, like, I don't know any of this, to be honest with you. Like, Abdullah against Buzz Sawyer it sounds was a fucking bath. sick. It's, like I said, it's on the WWE Network. You can watch it anytime if you have it. So, never check it out. Uh, right. Yeah, and of course, all the Georgia stuff is on YouTube TV. I put it up, and other people put it up. Seek out YouTube. I'll, I'll go check so, that yeah, out. I mean, yeah, the bus saw your turn, and everything was just really, really good stuff. And 
the way they did it, you know, where it was acknowledged that Brett was his brother, because Brett came in as Brett Wayne, not Brett Sawyer. And then it was eventually acknowledged, and Ole Anderson was talking about how their mother was kind of, you know, talking the buzz and trying to influence him about, you know, he needed to help take care of his brother. I mean, really great storytelling in that whole angle. So I remember this just from the magazines. They had a picture of Buzz and Brett. And it's like, this is my brother. And I was like, oh, look at that. They're brothers. So there you go. I, I would remember this more for the back issue of the magazine than I would from the actually watching any of it. So there's the power of magazines again. Exactly, exactly. All right, Larry and Zabisco is negotiating for several matches in the AWA. Well, he would go eventually go there and full-time later on, but uh, this is the beginning of that long-lasting relationship where he eventually met his future wife. So I say that relationship with AWA worked out well for him. Yeah, you know, I, I when I think of the AWA, I think of Larry Zabisco. It's a true story. I think Larry Zabisco... Uh, Greg Gagne, and of course, uh, uh, oh, Nick yeah. Bockwinkle. Oh. And the Hennings. Yeah. But. Zbysko, yeah, Zbysko, Bockwinkle, Gagne, especially 80s-wise. Yeah, those are, those are the three the three biggies, absolutely. Coco Ware has donned the mask he wore earlier in his career and is now wrestling under the name Stagger Lee again. Very oh, weird. We <laughs> because he was wrestling without the mask. Then all of a sudden he just put the mask on because he felt he needed it to get, get regain his confidence. So he did it. Then he aligned with Norval Austin, unmasked again, and then that's when the Pretty Young Things became a gimmick. So yeah, that's a nice little twist on the angle, though. You had a guy that was masked. He took the mask off, but he felt like he needed to put the mask back on to regain his confidence. What, what do you think about an angle like that? Uh, I'm not against it. I uh, It's an interesting touch. I don't really like Coco as Stagger Lee as much as I like. Just regulation, Coco, beware, but, you know. It's an interesting little touch on the gimmick, you know. It's kind of like how in, in, you know, Southeastern Continental, where Jerry Stubbs, you know, if he was Mr. Olympia, he was a babyface. But if he wasn't Jerry Stubbs, he was a heel. And that went for years. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that went for years. So, interesting little takeoff on that whole gimmick. I think Jerry Stubbs is one of the best wrestlers of all time. Tremendous. Tremendous. Love Jerry Stubbs. He's so good. And he's another one that you were just talking about, the old 80s guys that maybe a lot of people didn't watch and they should be watching for sure. Absolutely. All right, uh, Sheikha Nano Casey claims he was at revenge against Jim Brunzel, recently broke his leg during a match in Lacrosse, Wisconsin. And Sheikha Nano Casey always had something going on, a cast on his arm, broken leg. He was always in some shit. Yes, Sheikha Adnan Al Casey. What a... <laughs> <laughs> what a childhood memory he is. My God. And everything you're saying came right before. Like, when I got into wrestling, Brunzel was a killer bee, and Adnan L. Casey had his army with, like, the Barbarian and, and Mongolian Stomper and Ali Khan and off and those guys. So this is just right before they're making the transition where everything changes in 85 and 86. Yeah, this but, is uh, managing Patera yeah. Blackwell. That's the Sheiks. I just always remember every Adnan L. Casey's would be like, I would quote it and say, Hem and Hem and Hem and Hem. I didn't know what the fuck he was saying, but like, yeah, he had the very unique way of speaking, almost a Nikita Koloff, Shatoita esque way where you remember. We had Atbar down here, and Atbar to me was a whole lot better at the gimmick than Adnan. You know, 
Well, wasn't Akbar phony? But like, he didn't sound like no, a sheik. He didn't. Uh, I'm not to say that 2020, but you know what I mean. Like he didn't have the accent. No, he just he he had Arabic blood, but I mean he he didn't because he's from Oklahoma. He's Jim Weber. You oh, know where realized there was a yeah. Adnan's real name is Adnan Casey. No, was Akbar Billy White? Well, no, Adnan's Adnan Billy, Billy White. White Wolf, yeah. Okay. And did Akbar have a backstory of when he changed? Uh, Akbar was Akbar for many years. Uh, he started out in his real name, and then he took on the Scanner Akbar gimmick in the late 60s, and that stuck with him forever. There so. you go. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of Akbar. Oh, yeah, look. Let me some Akbar. All right. Barry Wyndham won a $35,000 20-man spe- Battle Royal Spectacular held in St. Louis at the Killer Tournament February 3rd. The final two men in the ring were Wyndham and Dory Funk Jr., whom Barry eliminated with a quote-unquote Mexican roll. Who knows? Hmm. Now, here are the other competitors in this match. Listen to this list of names. Remember, this is St. Louis, so you have a wide variety of talent. Crusher Blackwell, Kent Patera, Blackjack Mulligan, Crazy Luke Graham, Dick Slater, Tully Blanchard, Avalanche Buzz Tyler. Colonel Buckley, George Christopher Roby III, Buck Roby, Wahoo Daniel, Harley Race, Gorgeous Jimmy Garvin, Jim Brunzel, and Bulldog Bob Brown. Wow, that's a that's quite the shit show there. <laughs> you have a good yin and yang of pro wrestling talent right there. Holy shit! <clears throat> well, that's St. Louis, and you see, again, St. Louis was not a territory; it was a town, and just like you know, Houston for Paul Bosch was a town. Hmm. Uh. Those I always dug the St. Louis Houston vibes because, again, it was different. They they would bring in this variety of talent. They worked with a promotion, of course. St. Louis worked with Central States. Bosch would work work with either Fritz, then went to Joe Blanchard, then went to Watts. But they were able to bring in other names that wouldn't normally work in that territory to work their big shows. Their shows felt bigger because they were one town. What do you think about that? That you know part of wrestling you know where you had the town versus the territory uh, i'm okay with it i just uh no i don't uh, i i like certain towns but i don't understand it too much because i never was around watching or following wrestling when they just had towns you know like i hear texas had towns houston san antonio you know what i mean yeah but, but uh, again the thing is so it's like i said the town ha- i mean was its own thing you know it's like it had no, it had no real, you know, anything else was just built for that show every other week in that market, or every once a month, or however they would do it. You know, it's di- it's different. That's what set, that's what made them stand out, you know, from other places. And they paid, mm. they paid great too because they only ran, you know, every so often, so they were able to give better money to the talent. That's why you got a lot of top talent that would end up going to. Working for Paul Bosch and Sam Muchnick. Mm-hmm. So, interesting stuff. 84 is an interesting year in uh, St. Louis with the WWF there in full force. NWA sending top talent to the show. So, yeah, interesting year. <clears throat> All right, the WWC University of champion, Carlos Colon, says he is looking forward to defending his title in New York City. I was raised in New York, Colon recently told us, and I would love to bring the NBA title back to the Big Apple. I'm looking towards a big title match with NBA champion Ric Flair very soon. Cologne, by the way, was recently awarded with Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Man of the Year Award for 1983. According to, what a guy. According to senior editor Bill Anthony, presented the plaque to Cologne as seen on 
New York's WXTV Channel 41. The award recognizes Cologne's conduct as a true champion both in and out of the ring. <sighs> what can you say about Carlos Cologne that hasn't already been said for crazy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, he that uh, Man of the Year award uh, didn't mean much after 1988, that's for sure. But it was interesting seeing him start getting pushed into magazines in, in 84 because he's, his involvement with the NWA trying to run New York City, trying to make, get a foothold in New York. And their TV was on the Spanish language station there, so they felt like they needed Cologne to be a fairly big star to get over there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, when I would, I remember they had the, the action figure of him and Abby. NWA, you know, that so. too. I read about him at the big NWA shows, so I didn't know who the hell he was. I just knew he was really good because he beat everybody in Puerto Rico. Well, so. You know, and the the good thing about the Carlos Colonia NWA figure, and actually had a like a rough forehead. Remember that? Yes. Yeah, Abby, Abby did too. Abby Abby like Love that. <laughs> it's insane. Rick Rude. R-O-O-D, is not wrestling throughout Tennessee. He's been teaming with Terry Gibbs and is currently under the management of Jimmy Hart. A star is about to be born in Memphis, Tennessee with Rick Rude. Yeah, no offense. Fuck Rick Rude. We need to talk about Terry Gibbs. Uh, any other podcast in the world could talk about Rick Rude. We probably have already. Terry Gibbs, Terry Gibbs deserved more. I think uh, Terry Gibbs was one of those ICW guys. But, you know, help the Poffos out. Really solid worker. Enhancement guy in 85 in particular for WWF. And 86, I think, too. But never got over the hump, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't really understand why. Maybe it was just like a color personality type thing. Is it like something that's, you know, not he wasn't colorful as I'm trying to say. Yeah, he was but, kind uh, of bland. But. But a good worker. A good worker. Terry. He worked in, in different territories. Because I know. Uh, yeah. I, I talked to the fine folks at High Spots regarding purchasing the ICW library, which they don't have it and they don't have rights to it. But Lanny Poffo doesn't own it, which is interesting because there was a discussion over potentially doing an ICW Poffo documentary, but I don't really think it, it got too far because uh, Lanny said he would do an interview and there's obviously other interviews from like Ron Garvin, Macho Man, so other people have talked about it, but – you know, how, there's just discussion on whether there would be a market or interest in such a thing. But I, I would be interested. Like, give me all the Paul Christie matches. <laughs> give me, uh, you know, early Buddy Landell and early Bob Orton. It's me. Yeah, just for the Bob Orton matches before he really broke down yeah, physically it would be great. Head, and mop on his head and Rip Rogers. That's a wild Oz Baker's yeah. front teeth getting, uh, false teeth getting busted. There was lots of stuff going on. Yes. <laughs> I would like to see more of Poffo's ICW. I, I don't know what the quality would look like, but, you know. Yeah, I, I got some. It's, I got some good quality ICW. Uh, it's interesting. Very interesting to watch. Um, yeah, go yeah, ahead. It's a historical thing, you know, the, the war with Memphis and all that kind of stuff. You know, they lost the war to Memphis, but <clears throat> they were in it for quite a few years. I need, uh, maybe I can hook you up some ICW. You know, I got, I got some. Maybe I can hook you up with it. Who do you think the biggest crowd ICW ever drew was? Uh, well, they ran Rupp Arena in Lexington, you know, fairly regularly. Like they ten thousand? Uh, they probably had. They probably drew a crowd close to that. I would think so. Maybe, yeah. Oh yeah. 
I always wonder what territories would do as much as AEW's done. Like, just looking historically, because like the, the break in that ten thousand well, is, is know, pretty impressive. A lot of companies all territories pretty much had a, a one town that they did ten thousand fans in. Basically. Oh yeah. Oh okay. See, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's I good. mean, it wouldn't be like every week, but you know, I mean, still, I mean, there were there were those markets that they would do. Continental, Continental did crowds above ten thousand. About about well, uh. Yeah, legitimate ten thousand, not like hanging from the rafters ten thousand. Um, not like, every week. I mean, thousand ten. They, I'm sure they have done it. They did it. There, there's no doubt in my mind that the southeastern eastern territory they would do like five to six all the time on a consistent basis in that territory, which is fucking so impressive. But ten thousand, it's it's just again, this is like a. Cornet or something. You know, I'm not quite sure what the capacity would be in that building. That that would have been a they sold that out a lot in that era. So hmm. again, I don't know what the capacity. I think I think that that capacity in that building was like eight thousand. Because like Memphis and Mid South clearly have drawn oh, yeah, way yeah, over yeah, ten thousand. Yeah. Well, okay, yeah, and of course Crockett, oh, Crockett, Florida. All the little buildings Eddie Graham would run. A lot of them were smaller, but they would run St. Petersburg. And I'm they sure that's... Bayfront. They yeah. would run the Ocean so... Center and Daytona Beach. Front, it was oh, over yeah. ten. Oh, yeah. I, I... Okay. Yeah. They ran Ocean's Ocean Center, we... Daytona. Yeah, they in court. You know, they would draw ten. You know, ten times. Of course, JCP in Greensboro. You know, in Charlotte would be over ten. Uh, Los Angeles would draw. You know, when they were hot, would draw ten at the Olympic. Um, World class, something would draw over ten whenever they ran a uh, uh, wrestling reu- reunion <laughs> arena, or you know, a hot or hot show in Worth at Tarrant County. Yeah, yeah. All shows were like twenty thousand. The Sportatorium so was not was not that you know not that big of a place. So. No, but but it's generated. It's basically like NXT now. You're in a very small building with rabid yeah. fans. But then, when you do your touring shows, you could really draw really well for and major of course, shows. St. Louis is... would do ten, over ten. Keel and Chickerdome and Houston at the same East Coliseum would do over ten. So yeah, it, it happened a lot. It just you know, it's just a different time and place. Wrestling was different. Yeah, and Gibbs, by the way, uh, he was Buddy Landell's partner in Puerto Rico when Buddy Landell first turned, dyed his hair blonde, turned heel. So there you go. Oh, how about that? The tag team of Gorilla Monsoon and King Tonga. Fuck, get me those tapes. That sounds awesome. So there you go. What? Oh, man, we're going to talk after the show. Joe Savoldi. (laughs) Anyway, Joe Savoldi. What are we going to say about Joe Savoldi? Joe Savoldi, who learned a great deal of his technique from his father, Angelo Savoldi, is now a fan favorite in the Mid-South area. What's your thoughts on Joe Savoldi? I always... Was intrigued by jumping Joe Savoldi because I see him mentioned in the magazines. Like he would, uh, he would have like a little uh, pinup. I going to say pinup, but like a little color photo and some of the non after mags. And I'm like, who the fuck's this Joe Savoldi guy? I never saw him until I saw him basically working ICW. You know how I can't say Abagdabian? I can also not say Parsippany to you save my did. fucking life as a kid. I can now, but I could not back in the day. I uh, I don't even want to say what I would call it, but it wasn't part of it. But that was where Big Joseph Voldy was from. And Joseph Voldy on the Tito meter, because it goes Steamboat, Tito, 
maybe Ricky Santana. I'd say Joseph Oldie's sub Ricky Santana is a white meat baby face. Maybe a little bit above Steve O. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if we're gonna look at all the white meat babies that we can. Uh, I wish I had more of Joseph Oldie as the as the one half of the Rock and Roll Rollers with Alvarez. See, I don't even know they existed. Was that an IC? That was in Puerto Rico, and then Alvarez turned heel on him. Yeah. Oh, that. Yeah, because even Babyface Al Perez, I would put a little bit above Joseph Oldie. Oh, yeah. We had that great video of winning by Santana in this out. Nice. How about Jim Brunzel or Joseph Oldie? Yeah. Jim Brunzel. Who would you pick? You'd pick Jim Brunzel over Joseph Oldie. Oh, yeah. Jim Brunzel's a better worker. All right. Mike Von Erich? Oh, Mike Von Erich. No question, Joseph Oldie. Come on. All right. Well, there you go. I'll I'll stop. With Mike Von Erich, I got an oh, God from you. So. Uh, and uh, last but not least, it looks as if there's a few brew between Sauter Sauter and Iron Sheik in WF. Sheik doesn't like Sauter's oh. patriotism, and Sauter's deeply angered by Sheik's vocal anti-Americanism. Speaking of patriotism, Don Cronulla and Cowboy Bob Orton have presented the American flag to Ivan Koloff, proclaiming him to be an honorary American. Well, that would be... Wait, Don Cronulla Bob who? Orton. They were tag. They were the tag wow, champions. That's so awesome. They were very yeah, they were tag, tag champions at the time. But before Orton left, and then when Orton left, it was uh, Don and Ivan hooked up as a team. And then that American flag became oh. a big part of the angle when Don turned face, where they had the flag match, where Don won back the American flag that he gave the Cole off. I like this show, Chris, because it's really like the B-Sides episode so far because we could have talked a lot about Sarge and Sheik, which is such a classic feud, but we know we'll bring that up again at some point. So it's like why why even belabor the point? Like obviously the boot camp match is, in my opinion, the best WWF match of the entire 80s, yeah. by the way. But it's also when you read the angle in the magazine, Sarge and Slaughter is a patriot. Iron Sheik's not. They're going to fight. That's as easy as wrestling is. Isn't it crazy? Like, think of all the money that feud drew, and it's just based so primal, so obvious. Like, here's this guy. He's from fucking Iran. No one likes Iran at the time. Hey, here's Sarge. He likes to do the anthem. Yay, patriotism. And then you just go, you know? But Don Kernoodle, mm-hmm. Chris. There's not too many best of Don Kernoodle DVD sets out there, but there should be, because I think Don Kernoodle has quietly been in some of the most classic wrestling okay, matches no, there no, is. You just, you you know? just said both names. So what, do you prefer Kernoodle or Kernodal? Oh, shit, I did. <laughs> I, I say Kernodal, but I say Kernoodle just because I like, like that Wahume one too. Wahume Daniel or Wahume Daniels. That's true, and Rocky Kernoodle. See, I think I say Don Kernodal and I say Rocky Kernoodle. Well, so I always say go figure. Arson, but I think of Rocky Kernoodle. Oh, look at you. Deep cut with that one. But yeah, I uh, – I think Don Cronodal is really fucking good. And him and I don't think I've even ever seen a Bob Orton Jr. Don Cronodal tag team match. But On the I network. Certainly enjoy <laughs> On the Mid-Atlantic 84 stuff. I just need to fucking subscribe to the, uh, the Saudi Blood Money <laughs> Network. God damn it. I have to. Sorry, guys. I, I'm going to resubscribe. But all no, that sounds awesome. That's all worth it to me. I don't give a damn. Yeah, I got I mean, got to have Absolutely. it. And pristine quality, have- too. You can't beat that. Oh, I know. I've I've seen some of the old Mid Atlantic stuff and it looks great. So that's Ringside Bill after. Uh we got a King's Court with Peter King. And basically all it's about is he spends a day with Bruno and working with Bruno at <laughs> gym. Uh basically talking about his retirement and all that stuff. Bruno's out of the business at this point in time, but yeah, it's just talking about Bruno and his thoughts on wrestling. 
And, the, and I'll just read what it says at the end. <clears throat> Will Bruno, wrestle, Bruno return to wrestling in 1984? Let's hope so. He is, after all, known as the living legend, and as that phrase implies, his legend is still living and still growing. Well, he does return, just as an announcer. So, there you go. What's the hair like? Is there a picture of his uh, hair? He, he's in, the, in this gym, and he's got he's got the hair, but it's not... It's, it's like it looked like, you know, when he came back. But there is a portrait of him on the wall with, wearing uh, his original hair. Or the first toupee. Excuse me, the first toupee. See, I didn't think he had the toupee. Well, whatever he had, the hair weave or whatever he had. See, I don't even know. I, I, I don't. I, you know what? I guess he was. I guess, yeah. When he had the big afro, he had to have yeah. had some kind of. And it, no, and it noted that while he exercised his exercise bike, he sang opera tunes. Big, big fan of the opera. Of course he is. What a cultured yeah. man, Bruno. Dressing. Doggone it. it. Oh, we'll have that coming up. Dressing room confidential by Stu Sachs. Posted, uh, focused on Angela Mosca Jr. So that means we're, we're not going to read that shit. All right. No. What they are saying. Always a pop though. Well, did he have stock in this fucking mag? How was Angela Mosca brought up like five times on my guess? I don't know. All right. So what they're saying. This is uh, every month the reporters will compile wrestlers' most revealing quotes, often catching the grapplers with their guards down. Our reporters will work endlessly nice. in obtaining interesting quotes on a variety of subjects. All right, I'm gonna. I know that's what I'm I do. I'm gonna do. mention a name, and you know, we're gonna play a game. I'll mention a name. Oh yeah. I'll yes. mention a name, and you tell me if uh, I should read it or not. Okay. Yes. Hey, Taylor. Yes. Everyone told me that wrestling the Miss South here was gonna be tough. Some of the best wrestlers in the world are right here. I'm adding myself to that list. This is probably the biggest challenge of my career, and I plan to succeed. My goal is North American title, and I won't stop until I have it strapped around my waist. Well, there that was. All right. Next. Bruno! Ah, <laughs> uh, doggone it. You know, I've never been a junior heavyweight, but I'm very impressed with the amount of talent in that division. Doggone it. Those guys. <laughs> it says doggone it there, too. Do- doggone yes. it. Those guys can really move in the ring. I've seen Mike Jackson and Tommy Rogers on television, and they're very exciting to watch. It's good to see the little guys getting so much attention. They deserve it. Here's the thing. I've never heard him actually say dog on it. I just read him saying dog on it in a million PWIs. I, I, I associate him with dog on it and Black Bar with Dang Nabbit. Like they, these are the only times I ever use these phrases in my entire fucking the, the life. Reason, so Dang Nabbit with Black Bar and dog on it. Was the brutal. reason why he's talking about this is because his son <laughs> is working with George Championship Wrestling at the time. And George Championship Wrestling, um, World Championship Wrestling, had a very good junior heavyweight division going on. Yeah, they had Les Thornton in and regular as a champion. He had Mike Jackson, Tommy Rogers, Chick Donovan, Tim Horner, uh, Brad Armstrong kind of counts with that list. And they were having really good matches on television every week. Really good stuff. So, yes, Mike Jackson, the same Mike Jackson who just worked for uh, GCW on the show in Tullahoma, Tennessee, teaming with Tommy Rich against Manders and Mass Warner. <laughs> Seven-year-old Mike Jackson yep. can still go, folks. God bless him. Yeah, we. I saw. I, I saw him live last year or two years ago. It was crazy. All right, uh, Roddy Piper. Yeah, go for it. Surprise, surprise! Just like Gomer Pyle used to say, the WF fans blink their eyes and three most important men in professional wrestling pop up on their doorsteps: Doctor D. David Schultz, Mister Wonderful Paul North, and of course myself, the most highly respected mind in the sport. These fools and WF better move over. The three of us are taking over. Not bad. I'll say this: in the last week, 
in my private life of being a news reporter in a uh, coal region town, uh, I had referenced wrestling twice. And I kid you not, two people brought up David <laughs> Schultz. One called him Doc- one called him Dr. Death and said he was going to smack me. And then the other one just said like, you know, like that, that guy, Dr. Dr. David Schultz. I'm like, yeah. the fact that David Schultz came up twice. is very interesting to me. All these years later, people remember <clears throat> he was a controversial figure. So it, Maybe slapping Stossel was the best thing oh, for yeah. his career. Oh, you'll love the next name, and I already know what your answer is going to be. Angela Mosca Jr. <laughs> no. All right. Billy Jack. Uh, no. Ric Flair. <laughs> no. Billy Robinson. Yes. I've seen a lot of changes in this sport in the years I've been a professional wrestler. I think wrestling is a tougher sport than it was in the 60s and 70s. Wrestlers have to be better in better physical condition. They have to rely more on power and their own scientific skills. It's very risky. These days, your career could end in any match. There you go. Good job. Words, James words of wisdom. Negative. Jimmy Garvin. <laughs> yes. I'm gonna. <laughs> it's not my fault. I'm gonna tell you a few things about Sunshine. First of all, she doesn't know the first thing about professional wrestling. She's lucky she knows all that she does about bleaching her hair. I think the peroxide ran through her skull and into her brain. She thinks she's a manager now. All she is is a bleach blonde bimbo. <laughs> Good stuff. There you go. All right. <laughs> Gorgeous yes. Jake. All right, uh, next is Liz Hunter on assignment. Uh-oh, this is a little sex pot. And, uh... Gay <laughs> Phil after. She, uh, her assignment is she hangs out with Tommy Rogers uh, in a health spa in Wheeling, West Virginia. <laughs> Fuck yeah, what a great assignment. This is what Bill thought girls wanted to read. And, uh, he's wearing a Pro Wrestling Illustrated t-shirt while he works out. Oh, yeah. there's a photo? He's pointing to the he's pointing to the logo. <clears throat> All right, here's what he says. Here's what he she says, excuse me. Standing in the middle of the aerobics class with Tommy <laughs> Rogers wearing a Pro Wrestling Illustrated TV t shirt, intently imitating the paces of the aerobics instructor standing in front of the room. Everyone stood with their feet spread, shoulders whipped apart, and their arms extended to their sides, and they were bending at the waist so that their upper bodies are parallel to the floor. They bounced at waist at the waist to the instructor's count. I rushed in and took a place next to Tommy, who smiled at me as I joined the class. We were led through another 20 minutes of jogging in place, leg lifts, abdominal exercises, and then cooled down with breathing and stretching before we were dismissed. It was a tough 20 minutes for me. It seemed like Tommy could have gone on for another couple of hours. Boy, is this... <laughs> is this Wrestling Illustrator at Blacks.com? It reads like Penthouse Forum. That was a Good lot of fun, God. he said. I catch an aerobics class whenever I can. I really get a kick out of them. There's something about being part of a group. I like that. That's something I miss in wrestling. Oh, my goodness. So Great. it goes into more and more of him talking about health. And basically, Liz Hunter, the, the gist of this article is Liz Hunter talks about how the wrestling in 1984, the wrestlers, are different than they were in 1978 or stuff like that. They're more physically fit. And they're more about their cardiovascular skills and all that stuff. Here's, here's what he says. He says, I feel great, especially after a really good workout. I see a lot of people that huff, huff and puff their way through a workout. They leave the gym, get in their cars, light up a cigarette. Is that ridiculous or what? They defeat the purpose. Why bother exercising? These people spend four or five hours a week working out, and they could cancel out any positive effects on their workout during the week's remaining 163, 164 hours. Getting and staying in shape doesn't begin and end in the gym. It's a way of life. 168-hour week job. It's the way you treat your body. And as far as I'm concerned, I think it's pretty important to keep your body in shape. You don't get another one after you use the first one up. So there you go. Words of wisdom from Tommy Rogers. Wow. 
the best column there we've read. Uh, let's see here. Oh, you'll like this. Off the top rope with Dan Shockett. Letter yeah. to Dan Shockett. Dear Mr. Shockett, I have a theory on Bob Backlund's lost the day of title. Everyone knows that Backlund's manager Arm Scolan managed Bruno San Martino. And it should be remembered, Bruno held the title for seven years during his first reign, the longest reign in history. Backlund was nearing his fifth year. I feel that Bruno was getting nervous about that record being broken, which, like Backlund's reign, was notable for how, just how much the wealthier the referees were at the conclusion than in his start, paying the refs off. San Martino contacted Arnold Skull and offered him a large sum of money, which for, to those two is probably 100 bucks, to find a way to end Backlund's reign. Backlund was slightly injured in the camel clutch, and then Arnold threw the towel in. Don't you find it ironic the man who paid so much to keep his title lost because his manager sold him out? Signed, Bob Cohut of Trenton, New Jersey. Dan Shockett. I can't substantiate a single allegation of your theory, but I like it. I like it. Of course, Dan Shockett being the heel in the, in the magazines. So He preceded Eddie Elner. That's right. That's right. And... See, I was, I was post Shockett, pre uh, yeah, Eleanor was my guy. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, there's a press conference of Hulk Hogan, where you know they interview him after winning the title from the Sheik, and uh, just a, a quote here from Hulk, quote unquote. There's anyone there if it could give me a decent match, not Paul Orndorff, not the Mass Superstar, not Greg Valentine, not even Roddy Piper. I steamrolled over them like I steamrolled over the Iron Sheik. Thanks, Hulk. <laughs> Yeah, there's. Uh, go ahead. That was that was a coup to have him in there for the special exclusive. Here's interview. how you know this is fake. All right, <laughs> here's, here's a question. All right, so they go over all the contenders for the title. Even mentioned Snuka, Tito, Ivan Putsky. and the question is: Any of these men were fully deserving title shot? Now, seriously, without any talk of Hulkamania, why do you feel like you're more deserving than them? This is the first. This first sentence tells you all you need to know. I am not the WF ratings committee. Can you see Hulk Hogan saying that shit? Yeah, Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan say the that. ratings committee. It's bullshit. Hilarious. Come on. Again, speak to the ratings committee when somebody brought up uh and brought that up again. So there you go. All right, in focus with Craig Peters. Nice, Craig Peters, yeah. underrated. <clears throat> the fifteen thousand dollar body slam challenge continues. I don't know the name of the Johnstown, Pennsylvania fan. There's a picture of him trying to body slam Bundy. But you can see the strain and effort reflected on his face as he attempts to let the 420 pounds King Kong Bunny in the air and earn the 15,000. Everywhere I go, Bunny says, there's a parade of skinny little geeks who want to try and body slam me. Don't these idiots ever learn? <laughs> don't they understand I can't be slammed? Nobody's ever slammed me, and nobody ever will. I don't care if we're talking truck drivers or coal miners or pro wrestlers. I mean, nobody will slam me. If you ask me, I think Bundy's right. I've had the opportunity to witness several body slam challenges in person. These took place down in Georgia, and the best I saw anybody do was Budge Bundy off his heels about an inch. I mean, even beginning to wonder whether two people would be able to slam Bundy. This is stuff that's missing in wrestling today. Your body slam challenges. Yeah, I, I'm a big proponent of body slam Which challenges. Which goes to the big guys. You know, you if you don't have big guys, you can't have a body slam challenge. I think you could. Really? I think the way we educated people now. Do you remember when Paul E in the early days of Dean Malenko and ECW marketed Dean Malenko like a mini big Bubba Rogers where he was just like this little shooter guy that would just the fuck shooter. you up, but like with shoot move. Yeah, I, I, I really like that. I think you could do it where a guy has a low center of gravity and he just can't go up and, and he challenges you and he could just tie his leg around you and not, you couldn't get him 
get him in the air. I don't know. I, I think it's still do it. It's obviously best with big guys, but you know how how we're longing for that. I know. Johnstown, Pennsylvania. I can only, yeah, I'm looking at this fan, and uh, it's not a color photo, but he, he looks like he'd be from Johnstown, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Uh, that's a wonderful place to live. He's got that look of a, of somebody that would live in, in that you know in that neck of the woods. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, and uh, one more. Caught in a blinding fog. There's a horrible occurrence in Orlando, Florida. Kendo Nagasaki it might return the full force in the face with his mysterious green fog. Mike was required the aid the Mike Davis to make it safer back to the dressing room area. I'll tell you something. Rotundo told me after several days after the incident. I never knew what hit me. All of a sudden, I hear this whoosh. Then I feel this spray of liquid hitting my face. Yeah. <laughs> I bet. Uh, the wow. worst part of it was that someone got my eyes and began to burn like hell. They still bother me now, but it's not so bad. I had to go to the eye doctor and get some special eye wash treatments. I'm still using the eye wash now, and I'll be using it for another couple of weeks. I've never seen Mike in such agony, said Mike Davis, close friend of Mike Rotundo. He was afraid to be blinded for life. It was a very frightening thing. He was scared. I'll tell you that. As for Kendo, well, Kendo will get his. He'll be paid back for what he did to Mike. That's a promise. All right, now what did you call the green stuff? I always called it mist, the green mist. But there yeah. were other words. Go ahead. I would, would call mist. I've heard fog. <laughs> yes. uh, I never liked fog, which is used yeah. in that article there. Uh, what was the funniest? What was the funniest uh, word for it? Somebody use spray. Sputum Spew. would McMahon would say sputum. <laughs> I would fucking. What he had done WF Gary? He got him. Our scary stride. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, Gary sputum. All right, <laughs> but no, they called the the green sputum. I would just laugh. Yeah, that that is pretty funny. I mean, there there were different people, different names that he would use, but Ken Nagasaki. He Florida was where he got his biggest push, but uh, yeah, always came out to me like a low grade Kabuki. So. <clears throat> yeah, that's true. I I liked him with Muda the the white yeah, ninja. Yeah, they were good together. He was good. He was good for for Muda. That's for sure. All right, next we have one of our lead stories. Mister Wrestling Two is a supposed to story. Man MTA is turning bad by Joseph Bua. What? Mister Wrestling oh. Two opposed Man MTA's alliance with Lanny Poffo, convinced this association will lead to a change in his tag team partner's wrestling philosophy. A visit to the office person illustrated provide Wrestling Two with photographic proof that this startling change might have already begun. Okay, here's what happened. There's this picture. <clears throat> it's got Mr. Wrestling 2's face in a circle, and he's looking sternly, and it's planted over a picture of Magnum and Randy Savage of the tag team at the uh, Thanksgiving night uh-huh. tag tournament at the Omni. Okay? And then when you, wa- when you watch yes. Mid-South, when this whole angle is about, Mr. Wrestling 2 brings up the fact that Magnum teamed up with Randy Savage at the Omni and Randy Savage is this one of the worst people in the in the history of wrestling. So Magnum team with Lanny Poffo, who they acknowledged was Randy's brother, you know, who Randy Lanny was a babyface in Mid-South. How could he do that? How could he team with that man? And team with his brother. These people are evil. Which would begin the Mr. Wrestling 2 turn. Okay. So everyone thought Magnum was going to turn. But well, that's what, I mean. Two turn. Yeah. I mean, well, I don't think anybody, anybody thought Magnum was turning. It was that two was putting that thought in people's minds, because two yeah. was his mentor. He was his coach, and he was trying to keep Magnum on the path of righteousness. So, was that the first two uh, turn? The first one in the modern era. He had been healed in the seventies. 
and, oh, and nice. stuff I, I wish I could see where he feuded with Mr. Wrestling. Yeah, mm. he feuded with Tim Woods. All right. Um, so, but was there ever? It was just Mr. Wrestling one yeah. and two then, right? And did two win? Uh, yes, he won that feud, and uh, he was he he started to be known as Mr. Wrestling for a while, and then went back to being Mr. Wrestling too. Which in this feud, when he turned heel, he became Mr. Wrestling again, and Hercules Hernandez became Mr. Wrestling too. Oh, wow! And didn't didn't Tim Woods lose a finger oh, yeah, or something? That was in uh, Columbus. Yeah, that, that was a fan incident. And then, oh, you'll love this. Ugh. They did the same angle in Southeastern at the Mid South, where Mr. Wrestling Two came in there as a heel, and his Mr. Wrestling Two there was Pat Rose. Oh, nice! I love Pat Rose. Yeah. Original Heavenly yeah. Bodies. So Bill After showing him photos of this, and Wrestling Two is like, "What is this garbage? Why wasn't I made aware of this? Why did I do this? This is incredible! I can't believe this! What the hell's going on here?" He says, first it's Poffo, now it's Savage. They're probably being advised by the old man, Angelo Poffo. This isn't good. Not good at all. And after trying to explain to him, well, they were put together by a, a hat. They pulled names out of the hat to be the tag, the tag partners. Two said, come on, Bill. If you're going to give excuses, at least give me good ones. How did they get to the finals? This was a chance teaming. They had to work together beforehand. I don't believe this. We know about this after. You know everything that's going on. Come on, Bill. Nothing. After reply, really, I know, I know anything about this. Well, this is definitely a sign. This is getting way out of hand. The Poffos are going to ruin that boy. They're dangerous. Terry's still developing. All he needs is some idiot like Angelo Poffo filling his head with ideas. He would teach him how to hide foreign objects, how to hide the truth from a referee. He doesn't need this. We've come, we come oh, so far that. in this time we work together. I've stopped this now, whether Terry likes it or not. Hilarious. Wow. There it is. Hilarious. <clears throat> then we got the uh, Patera Black Rock and Roll Express thing, which I don't really go into that. Um, they were they had a series of matches against South Coliseum for the AWA tag titles before Rock and Rolls went to Mid South. So interesting. Oh wait, 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 wait! Rock and Roll and Lanny and no, Savage. Rock and, no, no, Rock That's and Roll, saying? Patera and Blackwell. What did they really? Yeah, I, I see. That, I didn't I know that. Some of that on DVD too. Yo, Blackwell against Ricky Morton. Yeah, it's awesome. not complete matches, but it's clips and it's pretty fun. Oh yeah. So. There's an article about that. Like I said, we won't get into that. And then we have, oh, here we go. The lead story, the carnage continues while the NWA is afraid of Ted DiBiase. And there's a great picture of DiBiase holding his glove, looking menacing. My brother had a, he had like one single black glove at one point in time, and I would put it on as a kid and pretend I was Ted DiBiase. Oh, look at that. <laughs> I was black. You were what? I was black Jack Mullen. <laughs> Oh, Teddy, I mean, Teddy Biasi, that's the black glove for me. And the be- uh, I always loved the best when he was, uh, when he turned babyface in 86, and he would break it out only when it was time to break it out. And Jim Ross would commentary say, he's brought out his war weapon. Number of the black glove. Oh, oh that's good. Like, he's like. Now, you mentioned earlier he did the claw. He didn't do no, the claw. No, he had the claw, that claw stance. Oh, the- yeah. yeah. He never did the I claw. Know. So, yeah, that's the thing about, you know, yeah. DiBiase and, you know, they talk to Bob Geigel and it's a long little story here, but it's basically DiBiase saying, Mr. R's Tommy Rich, how can people be so stupid? And Bob Geigel said, well, if it's Tommy Rich, then he loses his mask, we'll, up, you know, make the suspension go. He said, until that happens, we'll let him wrestle. And it's just stuff like that, you know, it's a good little article. Re- reinforcing the angle. Yeah, so it's got a great picture of DiBiase in that diving fist drop on Johnny Ridge. And, and as an earlier show, there's a picture of him jumping up the middle rope with a diving elbow on top of t- Johnny Rich's head. 
who's standing up. So nice. That's so what we want. Did that too. We want more of that. Fantastic. Oh, you'll like this. So I, I got to read this real quick. All right. The reporter he's talking to got into DBI, got into DBI injury in Bob Armstrong. And, uh, the guy said, listen to me, DBI is kind of going to take credit for something that might have been excellent on Armstrong's part. Maybe Armstrong was in a barroom fight. Maybe he's lifting weights and a barber fell in his face. Who knows? Anything could have happened. We haven't heard from Armstrong himself yet. Of course you have at the reporter screen. This jaw is wired shut. And we can't take hmm. any official action based on the assumption of reporters, outside observers. And uh, individuals such as Bob's son, Brad, and Johnny Rich, who were too emotionally involved in the situation. To have an objective opinion, Gone concluded, the reporter stood up and threw his notebook against the wall. The room was silent. Geigel and the reporter then stared face-to-face in each other's eyes. Listen to this shit. The reporter spoke. If you ask me, you're afraid. The NWA is afraid. You're scared. You know DBI is a madman, but you have no way of controlling him. You've seen what he's done to Rich Armstrong and what he's doing to Johnny Rich and Brad Armstrong. You're afraid. Well, if you ask me, you damn well better find some way to control DBI. Because if you don't, there's going to be a lot more suffering, and wrestling itself is going to suffer the consequences. The reporters stormed out of the room. The rest of the reporters filed out quietly. There were other questions to be asked, but after that one reporter's tirade, nobody could say anything. They could only agree quietly to themselves that he was right. Wow, that was very stoic. It's a long fucking story, but it's hilarious. It's uh, amazing. Everybody needs to read this story. It's tremendous. Finance Magazine. I love the babyface wrestling as a whole, yeah. too. Wrestling may not be able to handle the consequences. So we got the Dick Slater. Wrestling. Yeah. Wrestling. The sanctity of wrestling. Yeah. Yes. So we got Dick Slater's uh, poster, which, of course, uh, had the profile and the close-up going over his track record. And then it has close-up where they talk about his favorite maneuver. I don't fool around with intricate holes. I do what works. You take a guy on by the neck, and you choke the life out of him. It works every time. You cut down an air supply and they weaken, and you throw them around until they can't put up a fight anymore. It's the most effective maneuver I know. Wins matches. Greatest match. Nothing gave me more personal satisfaction than beating Gray Valentine and taking that U.S. title from him. He's always looked down on everyone. But no, I'm the one who's looking down at him. He says he's the greatest U.S. champion of all time. That's true. Why is he taking the title back yet from me? Most hated opponent. Who would you think that would be? For Dick Slater, uh, God, in 83? Yeah, 83-84. Uh, God. Kabuki. I'm sick and tired of the ace, but into my business. Wahoo McDaniel thinks everything that goes on professional wrestling is his own personal concern. Well, I decided I'm going to start meddling in his affairs, too. You better have the bicycle back to your head, Wahoo. <clears throat> Ooh, Toughest what? opponent. Who do you think? Wahoo. Dusty Rose. He's the one man I just can't figure out. He just nice. keeps coming at you no matter what you do. I once broke a chair right over his head. Even with the chair hanging around his neck, he kept fighting. I might not like him too much, but I got to respect him. He really got cuts. Now that you mentioned Dusty, my favorite Dick Slater moment involves Dusty. <laughs> it's that match with Steamboat, Dusty, and oh, Dick Slater against yeah. Bats, Bart, and somebody else, Tully, I think. And Dick Slater comes out with a big, oversized blue Yellow. foam hat, which is fucking, yeah, it's so good. Like, it's, I used to love wacky guys like Bugsy McGraw and Jimmy Valiant and Dick Slater coming out with a big, giant foam hat. It's like, yeah, why? It's hilarious. Good shit. And it was a bunkhouse match. That's right, yeah. It was one of those deals that the, t- the TV time ran out before the finish, too. <laughs> and Magnum took the the lasso and lasso yes. J.J. Dillon. Yeah, and was red hot. <laughs> right. That was in Charlotte, if I'm not mistaken, too. Yeah, that's right when NWA started turning the corner under yeah. the dream. <laughs> the lonely world of a one-man gang. 
There's no spot any evil that exists within the soul of the wrestler who comes with the one-man gang. Even the man who knows him best, his advisor J.J. Dillon, fears him. So imagine how the 402 pounds behemoth's opponents must feel. So, yeah, gangs in Florida. It's got a lot of pictures of him beating up beating up all the got the baby face in Florida. Gang with his long hair. Does he oh, yeah, hair? real long hair. Nice. Gang in Florida is very interesting because he's one-man gang, and then at one point in time, he becomes Panama gang. Where he wears, <laughs> he, he's doing the Panama Jack gimmick. He's wearing like the hat, Hawaiian shirts, and shorts. Do you realize I just called the Hawaiian shirt a humper oh, yeah. shirt? <laughs> it's, I refer to Hawaiian shirts as I mean, as he looked like shirt. early Bray Wyatt, in a way, with the hat and the, the, oh, yeah. and the shirts and stuff like that. Other than Bray Wyatt didn't wear shorts, but yeah, Panama Gang was a hoot. I'm sure he's been influenced. I'm sure Bray watched all that shit. Like, it's oh, interesting. Yeah. So we got that story. All right, Wrestling Inquirer. The heart, the big news from for the issue, Wahoo pins race in non-title bout, or he pinned them in uh, St. Louis, race the Missouri champion. Oh, have you ever seen them wrestle real quick? Have you ever seen Wahoo in uh, race? I think I have a match with them, yes, at least one. That would be a good yeah. one, right? I, I, there's, so, there's so much Wahoo McDaniel I wish I had video yeah. of, but that would be one match I would definitely want to see because <clears> you know they get the shit out of oh, each yeah. other. Hacksaw Duggan makes Florida debut. Duggan went to Florida and uh, was a heel there with Kevin Sullivan, one of Kevin Sullivan's guys, for a bit, like a month, a little over a month. He did a Loosely Town deal in Mid-South, yeah, he was, and he went to Florida for that time period. I remember him being really mad he had to go back to Mid-South after Well, I think this. he did pretty well when he went back, though. So, Well, yeah, but he was loving the life oh, yeah. on the beach. Yeah. I think he dating a nice young lady who worked at the club. So, yeah, he was doing a good job. I think she went with him back to Mid-South. That's his wife now. Oh no, I I, I certainly am not going to say that, but yeah, I, I could be. I don't I don't know, but I do I do know that uh, he currently resides in Titusville, Florida. If yeah, I'm not mistaken, yeah, there you go. Bill Demont were like neighbors or something. Uh, so. You like this? Uh, you got Cornish Dynasty seeks title shot in the Midnight Express. They called them two and TA chickens. They refused to give their t- give them the title match. And they t- recently tarred and feathered them on television, <sighs> which again, that's on the network too. I I wish when I was at FCW, I would have pitched a tar and feather angle. Dusty. We had a tar and feathering angle here at Wrestle America in Barnesville uh, last month where the kids got to tar and feather the heel match. <laughs> I was about to say, when was the last tar and feather angle in wrestling? I, I thought we'd have to think back to the 90s, and there you go. Last Michael week in Barnesville. Judas, Michael makes... Judas and Ryan North, the heel manager, they stripped him down to his uh, briefs. They took him to the concession stand area where they had this big, large blue mat, and uh, the kids got, they gave the kids jars of alaga cane syrup, and they they poured it on top of his head, and then they they got the bags of feathers and put it on top of him, and, and the crowd was going. So yeah, fantastic, great, great moment. So there you go, Sheik Santana and Putsky to investigate WWF. <clears throat> Bill Actor says that Jimmy Snook and Tito Santana Ivan Pesky are reportedly spearheading investigation of officials and commissioners following Hulk Hogan's win of the WF title. They are justifiably angry that he got this contention out of nowhere. All three of them have been wrestling for a long time. Any one of them was more deserving than Hogan. Hogan was in WF for one week before he received his title shot. Wow, look at the magazine portraying the good guys against Hulk. Well, That's fucking what's the big feud going on this time, though? The WF, WF and Pearl's Illustrated and the actors. Because oh, yeah, we'll see, that makes because remember, this is the era where they didn't even have WF as one of the top promotions. They put them with the territories. 
They're not a world oh, champion. Wow. Yeah, but they they did that interview with Hulk though, yeah, didn't they? Of course, they? yeah. Hulk in quotes. Then we got around the globe. And it talks about King Kong Bunny in Atlanta destroying uh it devoted his time to injury to destroy the Legion of Doom. He was on receiving in some vicious robo bars by Dylan who claimed Buddy would never become Legion of Doom. He called him fat. He was like the twit your guys on your Twitter your, your Twitter feed. Giving Bundy shit being fat. Yeah, how dare they? Yeah. Hey, here's a question. What's your favorite Bundy? Was it world class Bundy, eighty five WWF Bundy, uh Georgia Bundy? 1995 WWF Bundy, one shot ECW 1994 Bundy, or I think Japan Bundy, but yeah. I, I've never seen any of that. But I do. Uh, World class Bundy there. was when he was probably was at his best as a worker because he was he wasn't as big yet. He was really light on his feet and could move. But I like 84 Memphis Bundy. Oh, nice! I I like moved. Memphis Bundy, yeah. but I also like. Pre WWF, couple shot AWA Big Daddy Bundy, yeah, teamed up with Jerry Blackwell. Yeah, I like George Babyface Bundy. Yeah, because that was always that AWA thing where Brody had to be King Kong Brody. Could be Bruiser. Yeah, there was only one. Then King Bundy couldn't be King Kong because Bruiser, so then he had to be Big Daddy. Well, WWF was doing the same thing. Funny because answer. remember they brought Buzz Sawyer in as Bulldog Buzz Sawyer because they would have Mad Dog Bashan on there, so he could be Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. Oh yeah, you're right. Okay. Huh. But no, I, I I guess if, if I'm being completely honest, the Bundy I I was a kid and saw like '85 Bundy who was just Avalanche and Hillbilly yeah. and Andre and Brickman's ribs like that 1985 to '86 Mania Two Bundy was fucking the man. Great LJN figure. The man who wrestled the colossal jostle at MSG, which by the way, probably the best big man monster match of all time. Like I'm sure I'm missing one, but that was a real and, good uh, one. Like, you know, like I was saying, job. One of the best LJN figures to to play with. Oh yeah, you can kill someone with that. <laughs> King Kong Bundy LJN could be a murder <laughs> weapon. It's yeah. Eight pounds. If I ever lose like my five pound hand weight, I just take one five pound hand weight and the King there Kong Bundy on the other hand. <laughs> All right, Memphis, Tennessee. Eddie Gilbert <laughs> will be soon wrestling in the mid southern area, following a bitter departure from WWF. I was promised all sorts of things. He said, time to match with a junior weight title, time to match with a continental title. I never got the matches, only promises. The junior weight title. becomes a new fabulous one and then has the epic heel turn and the rest is history. So, yeah, there you go. Eddie Gilbert and WF, total white meat baby face. It's hilarious watching him there, man. I mean, he's like Bob Backlund Jr. Yeah, and I think he'll probably, when I get that goddamn he'll be Tiger there. Mask DVD that I left, yeah, I left it in in a in a hotel room in, oh, in Carolina, no. but it's being mailed. Yeah, it's it's gonna get mailed to me, so it's okay. gonna be okay. I, I was that desperate over finding it. it's. It was literally, I think, the last one High Spots had, but they just happened to have it at their table at WrestleCade, and I'm like, oh my god, six discs of Tiger Mask. I'm like, I need it in my life. Hopefully, it's not Masala. No offense to Masala, but or like Tiger Mask Four. I went. Uh, yeah, I want pure Sayama. Yeah, you know you. what I mean? Like, I that's all. And speaking of Japan, Tokyo, Japan. Playboy Buddy Rose is leaving Japan and heading back to the Pacific Northwest. I feel better than ever after this tour, Rose said. I've slimmed down a few pounds, refined my style a little bit, and I've even learned a new maneuver or two. Which ones? I'm not telling. Until I've had the chance to use them. Oh, that's such classic, methodical, cerebral Buddy Rose shit. That's good. Even if he would, he didn't write that, you know he would say that. And they interviewed the too. Babyface that time, too, in Portland. So 
But when he comes back, it's when he turns heel. I never knew he even went to he Japan. Was on New Japan tour. Oh God, exactly. yeah, he was on the New Japan tour to start the year. You you never tw- see me tweet some of his matches from that tour. Please tell me he wrestled right, Fujinami. Let me, let me pull let me pull some results up. I'll I'll take a Choshu match some, too. Right, I got some results possible. right here. All right, new, new, how about New Year's there Day '84 at the Corken Hall? Buddy Rose over Yoshiaki Fujiwara. Oh wow, All right. that's unique. Anoki Fujinami and Maeda over Abdul the Butcher, Bad News Allen, and Buddy Rose. Oh, that's a fun Anoki one. Anoki Fujinami and Osamu Kido over Buddy Rose Dust, and Dusty Rhodes and uh, I don't have the other name here. Wait, Buddy Rose teamed with Dusty Rhodes? Yeah. Wow, Adrian Adonis was the third partner. I, don't know where, I, I can't even fathom. They could have put the Killer B mass confusion without <laughs> well, switching in and out. That's fucking crazy. I never knew Buddy and Dusty. I wonder if they ever were opposing each other. Uh Oh. Hold on. Let me see. Let's see here. Uh oh yeah. The third partner in that match? Brett Bret Hart. What we got? What? <laughs> like Barry like Barry Howitz or legit yeah, Bret Hart? Bret Hart. Yeah, Bret Hammond Hart. Oh wow. All right. Interesting. Let's see. Anoki Fujinami over Bad News and Buddy Rose. Russia Kamura over Buddy Rose. Buddy Rose and Bret Hart battle Kunakobiashi and Osama Terenichi to double count out. Uh, Akito and Sakaguchi over Buddy Rose and Davy Boy Smith. What? Yeah, I will say about this Buddy Rose Bad News Allen team. Like they're like the Butch Reed Buddy Landell team. I, I like the ass kicking guy with the little chicken Amaguchi shit baby face. Joshi over Buddy Rose and Bret Hart. Dude, I had no idea Bret Hart even was this involved with the heavies yeah. at the time. That's cool. So that looks like the only Choshu. Oh. Aruka Egan and Katara Hoshin over Black Tiger and Buddy Rose. That, Ooh, Mark Rocco. Yeah, that's the yeah. only, so no, Rose and Choshu only have one match against each other. There you go. Hey, we got some tags with uh, Fujinami, yeah. so we'll take it. All right, next we have looking at when Matt Brock with Jimmy Garvin, uh, where he goes over you know Garvin and uh, the deal with Sunshine and Precious. Nothing really of note here. It's just Matt Brock. All right, Arena Report. Yay. All right, I'm gonna we're gonna do a little different thing here. I'm gonna give a uh, a city and venue, and you tell me if I should read the results or not. All right. Austin Garden. Yes. Garden Slaughter won an 18 man battle royal. Bob Backlund over Iron Sheep by disqualification. Pat Patterson over Iron Mike Sharp. Paul North over SD Jones. Sarner Slaughter over Pete Doherty. Thurston Lee over Tony Guerrero by countout, and Tony Atlas over Bob Bradley. God, it's a fucking horrible card, but I'll say this. I'd have gone for the big Battle Royal. Battle Royals were a big draw. All right, day. the Metropolis Skating Rink in Canton, Massachusetts. Yes. Bob Backlund over Tiger Chung Lee. Morocco over Strongbow. Jay Strongbow. Tito Santana and Tony Greer went to a 20-minute draw. The inv- the Invaders, oh. Invader 1 and Invader 3, over Butcher Vachon and Fred Marzino, and Sweet Hansen over Pete Doherty. Oh, Sweet Hansen was my favorite yeah. as a kid. I was a big Gorilla must even call him Sweeter. I used to call him Sweet Hansen <laughs> as a kid too. <laughs> I was a little dumb. I always, but... thought, he was, I always thought that he I, was Stan Hansen were akin to each other when I was a kid. See, yeah, I, I, I didn't think of that, but it would have been a hell of a match. They killed each other in the ring. They both so fucking stupid. Spectrum. Oh no, pass. The Zembo Mosque in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Fuck yeah, go to the Zembo Mosque. Tito Morocco by DQ. Tony Allison, S.D. Jones, or Mr. Fuji and Tiger Chun Lee by DQ. Samoans of the Invaders, Sweet Hansen going to a draw with Renee Goulet, 
and Jose Luis Rivera over Charlie Fulton. Holy shit, these are like legit D shows. I, I, I'm all about it, oh, by yeah. the way. I love the job. But like that match with uh, Tiger Chung Lee should have got more of a push. It's always bizarre how he was never really above the mid card. Yeah. He had a cool look. I like Tiger Chung. Civic Arena in Pittsburgh. Nope. Nassau Coliseum. New nope. Haven Coliseum. Nope. Are these yeah, all WBF? No, all they did was WBF in this time period. Uh, all right. The Ringle oh. Gym in Monongahela, Pennsylvania. Yes. Bob Backlund, Ryan Sheep by DQ, Orndorff over Belomo. Tony Guerrero and Eddie Gilbert went to a time limit draw. Snuck over on my sharp, mass superstar with TJ Strombo and Bob Bradley over Ken Jugan. Alright, I'm gonna I'm gonna share a story. Right. <laughs> uh the scariest, most perplexing things in my childhood was you remember them WWF cards? Would they trading <laughs> cards? Oh yeah, I had yeah. them. One of Orndorf giving a pile driver to Salvatore Belomo, yeah, right? Yeah, pile driver. And Belomo's legs are straight up yeah. in the air, right? Beautiful symmetry. Well, then there was another one of him giving a pile driver to some other guy who may or may not have been Gino Carabello. And you see, like, all this fucking people <laughs> coming out of his face. And I haven't thought of that in probably 32 years, but you see Paul Orndorf and uh, – Belomo made me think of that for some reason. So there you oh go. Oh my god! What a horrifying thing to think about. But yeah, it was so horrifying. I was like, look at all that fucking pubes. What's going on with that guy? He had a jungle down there. He needed a machete. <laughs> and get, get through there. All right. Oh, Let's god. close out with the official wrestling ratings. Yo, this blew by. Holy shit. Okay, what we, we got? We are covering the week that was, well, period ending February the 7th, 1984. So we're very early in 84 here. The Pacific Northwest, we'll begin with them. Uh, Rip Oliver, excuse me, let's start from the bottom. Jerry O at 10. Jerry Oski, Jerry Allen. Me, Mike Miller at 9. Chief Tapoo at 8. Tom Pritchard at 7. Matt Bourne at 6. The Assassin, which would be uh, Dave Sierra at 5. Scott McGee at four, Kurt Henning at three, Jules Strombo at two, and Rip Oliver is number one. Scott McGee, quite underrated. Oh, yeah. eh? I, I remember Scott McGee, quick draw, Rick McGraw would be like, I always equated them to each other. I don't think they look alike, but they would be undersized good guys on the TV shows on WWF in like 85, 86. Well, at least McGee 86, but like I just remember thinking he was really good. But then I remember I didn't think much <clears> of Scott <throat> McGee for years, but there was a shoot interview with Barry Windham in 2000, and he brought up his friendship with Scott McGee, and then he just said he wasn't doing real well. But I think he was okay. I don't think Scott McGee's dead. I don't think he's alive, and he worked here as Pat McGee, although they still listen to Scott. Yeah. Huh. All right, the Mid-Southern area. Oh, yeah, Number 10, favorite. Eddie Gilbert. Number nine, the masked Mr. Ebony. Tom Jones under the gimmick, not the singer. Stan Lane at eight. Steve Kern at seven. Dutch Mantel at six. King Conga at fifth, Randy Ooh. Savage at four, Jill Duke third, Jerry Lawler two, and Austin Idol number one. Wow, King Conga there. Big representation. Yeah, barbarian, yes. Did they call him the Barbarian King or did they Conga. call him King Conga? Yeah. But they never called him Conga the Barbarian, enough. correct? Well, no, I don't think they called him that anywhere, did they? Nobody called him that. Oh. Isn't this an argument that's been had where basically he was in the magazine and says Conga observer. the Barbarian, but he was just like. And Dave. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Because, like, Nord the Barbarian was never Nord the Barbarian, yeah, was he? was. And World Class he was. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, then. I forgot for some reason. I think in World Class I knew that. Because remember, Dickhead would... Norwegian. Uh, how dare I? <laughs> remember, 
Yeah, I remember he would call him Nord yeah. the Norwegian. <laughs> From Norwegia. All right, Mid-South. Kamala, 10th. Oh, God. Jim Neidhart, 9th. Dr. Death for Steve Williams, 8th. Terry Taylor, 7th. Manatee, 6th. Mr. Wrestling, 2, 5th. Latrice, 4th. Crusher Darso, 3rd. Nikolai Volkov, 2nd. And JYD, 1st. Some big dudes there. Terry Taylor wasn't joking when yeah, he said that. Dundee, when he went yeah, Dundee's about like, to get involved. Man. And, the, you know, it's about to change. It's, the times are about to change. Florida. Number 10, Axel Duggan. Ninth, Mike Davis. Eighth, Mike Graham. Seventh, Billy Jack. Sixth, One Man Gang. Fifty, Dirty Yellow Dog. Fourth, Mike Rotundo. Third, Dusty Rhodes. Two, Kendo Nagasaki. Number one, Ron Bass. Wow, that's right before Florida goes oh, south. Yeah. yeah, it's for Dusty Lou. They all go. Like, I think Dusty, Rotundo, Wyndham, Bass, Bart. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this territory's cleaned out in months, yeah. Dutch Mid-Atlantic. Ivan Koloff, 10th. Mark Youngblood, 9th. Angelo Mosca, Sr., 8th. Gray Valentine, 7th. Rufus R. Freight Train Jones, 6th. Jimmy Valiant, 5th. Dory Funk Jr., 4th. Wilhelm Daniel, 3rd. Angelo Jr., 2nd. And Dick Slater, number 1. I swear to God, Dusty Rhodes is in every top 10 we've read. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he's not in booking Mid-Atlantic yet. So, it's still, uh, at this point hmm. in time, it's still uh, Dory, mainly. So, world class. Number 10, Mike Von Erich. Number 9, Super Destroyer number 2, Bill Irwin. 8, Kamala. Number 7, Super Destroyer 1, Scott Irwin. 6, Iceman King Parsons. 5th, Kerry Von Erich. 4th, Jimmy Garvin. 3rd, Kevin Von Erich. 2, David Von Erich. And number 1, Chris Adams. I'll say this. Out of all those we've read, World Class had the hottest promotion time, for sure. Yes. And that's where Meltzer was living there too, so he got to see all that yeah. good shit. I could see why. And they probably had the best crowd heat and everything. And if you notice, no oh. Freebirds because they hadn't been around. They lost the loser lead deal and had been touring all Japan. Oh, yeah, okay. they were in all Japan during that month when Buddy Rose was in New Japan, teaming with uh, teaming. So they had associates in all Japan too at the time. Kelly Kaniski, who would become an associate world class, and Steve O. Yeah, <sighs> Steve O is like the invisible yeah. wrestler. Like you say his name, Steve Olzanowski, and you think of all the matches he had, and you can't come up with a fucking one. <laughs> Georgia, number ten, Tommy Rogers. Number right. Nine, Les Thornton. Number eight, King Kong Bundy. Number seven, Pistol Buzz Watley. Six, Brett Sawyer. Fifth, The Spoiler. Fourth, Mister R. Third, Ronnie Garvin. Second, Jake Snake Roberts, and number one, Ted DiBiase. Dude, here's why wrestling's not as fun anymore. I'll just say it, like. If you read every single one of those top tens, they're completely so fucking different within like not only a year, but like five months. I know. Yeah, it's variety. Guys are able everyone, to go back. Everyone, back everyone is yeah. super different. That's, I mean, that's what's been missing in wrestling is guys being able to move around and be and stay fresh. But I, I honestly think the turnaround from 84 to 85 is the craziest turnaround oh, yeah, in the history of absolutely. wrestling. Like, every single one of those guys goes somewhere else. Yeah, this, it's is, crazy. Fa- this is fan for 84. Vince yeah. just cherry-picks yeah. everybody. Yeah, Vince cherry-picks, like, half the fucking world. And then Dream cherry-picks everybody. And then people who gravitate to Memphis just go there. People who gravitate to Florida just go there. It's it's just become so different oh, yeah. so fast. WWF in the territory section. Uh, number 10, Ivan Pusky. Ninth, Greg Valentine. Eighth, Sergeant Slaughter. Seventh, Matt Superstar. Sixth, Tito Santana. Fifth, Bob Backlund. Fourth Iron Sheik, third Jimmy Snuka, second Menace of Morocco, Paul Warner, number one, and then Hulk Hogan as the champion. Yeah, if anything, that's the most stable promotion there at WWF. Everyone just kind of yeah. sticks around. All right, the, the NWA. 
10th, Jesse Ventura. 9th, Crusher Blackwell. 8th, Baron Von Raschke. 7th, Blackjack Mulligan. 6th, Kim Patera. 5th, Mr. Saito. 4th, Brad Rangans. 3rd, Jerry Lawler. 2nd, Blackjack Lanza. Number 1, Mad Dog Bashan and champion, Nick Botwinkle. What's your favorite Brad Rangans match? Brad Rangans versus Nick Botwinkle from television in 83. It was a hell of a fucking match. Went to a time limit draw. And, oh, and, and Brad Rangans versus Martel. That's, that's another one. I was going to say Rangan's Jerry Blackwell, but yeah, that's, uh, I used to call him Brad Rannigan. He's <laughs> like, <laughs> now you laugh, but I think Rod Trongarder, one of their announcers called it that. And I, or Brad Rannigan's, and I just remember, I, I was. I used to joke like, his name was, uh, Rad Bennigan's at the restaurant, Bennigan's. Oh, uh, yeah. I just took it out and yeah, said Rad Bennigan's. Brad ran again. All right, and then the National Wrestling Alliance, which is a total conglomerate here of everybody. Number 10, Rip Oliver. Ninth, David Von Eric. Eighth, Chris Adams. Seventh, Carlos Colon. Sixth, Wally McDaniel. Fifth, Ron Bass. Fourth, Kendall Nagasaki. Third, Holy Race. Second, Teddy Biasi. Fifth, Slater, number one. And Ric Flair, your world champion. Notice Dusty Rhodes, not in the top 10 in the NWA. Wow, see, I lost that bet. I was about to butt in and go, another Dusty Rhodes, but no. Which is interesting. <laughs> All right, uh... Most hated. Dick Slater, 10. Jimmy Garvin, 9th. Iron Sheik, 8. Ken Patera, 7th. Nick Bobico, 6th. King of Bundy, 5th. Butch Reed, 4th. Ron Bass, 3rd. Nikolai Volkov, 2nd. Ted DiBiase, the number one most hated man in wrestling. Man, Ron Bass is yeah. way up there. Most popular. Number 10, Iceman King Parsons. Number 9, Man MTA. 8th, Mike Rotundo. 7th, Kerry Von Eric. 6th, Jimmy Valiant. 5th, Hulk Hogan. 4th, Junkyard Dog. 3rd, Jimmy Snuka. Second, Dusty Rhodes, and the number one most popular man in wrestling, Andre the Giant. Wow. See, if anyone aside from Hogan would have been, it would have been Andre, but clearly shots fired Hulk Hogan. Yes. Our favorite, the tag teams. Number 10, the North American Tag Champions in the World Wrestling Council. The Mass Medics, or Los Supermedicos. Johnny Rods and Jose Estrada under the hoods. International mm-hmm. Tag Champions in, in Montreal, Tony Parisi and Gino Brito at ninth. Number eight, the Southern Tag Champions, or Mid-Southern Tag Champions, the Zambui Express, Mr. Elijah Keem and Mr. Kareem Mohammed. Seventh, World WF Tag Champions, Rocky Johnson Tony Atlas. Sixth, Mid-South Tag Champions, Wrestling 2 and Madden TA. Fifth, American Tag Champions and World Class, Super Destroyers. Fourth, U.S. Tag Champions in Florida, Mike Rotunda and Mike Davis. Third, National Tag Champions, the Road Warriors. Second, NWA World Tag Champions, Black One Patera. And your number one tag team in the world, according to Personal Illustrated in February 1984, Bob Orton Jr. and Don Cronodal, NWA World Tag Champion. What? And then your top ten. Overall wrestlers. Dino Bravo, number ten. Dick Slater at ninth. David Von Eric eighth. Carlos Cologne, seventh. Hulk Hogan, sixth. Nick Botwinkle, fifth. Dusty Rhodes, four. Arlen Race, third. Andre the Giant, second, and Ric Flair, number one. And if you if you all remember, there was always like the ratings analysis. Well, we had special ratings in this one for St. Louis. So, you know, they they only ran twice a month, but we still have a St. Louis ratings. Number 10, Bulldog Bob Brown. Number 9, Kim Patera. Number 8, Crusher Blackwell. Number 7, Dorfman Jr. Number 6, Luke Graham. Number 5, Dusty Rose. Number 4, Bruiser Brody. Number three, Wild McDaniel. Number two, Dave Monerick. And number one, Harley Race. So there it is. The June 1984 issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Golly, what a time. Yep. 
Right when it's all changed. Yeah, this is, I mean, yeah, because WWF, I mean, Hogan winning the title, and this is two weeks after that. So wrestling, yeah, it's about to blow up big time because McMahon's already started bringing guys in, invading, but it's really about to start heating up now. What would you say the best promotion is at this time? The best promotion at that time, uh, world class. Yeah, I agree. World class. Florida maybe second. Uh, yeah, they were still they still had some good shit going on there. Georgia, too. I love, but Georgia wasn't doing any business really this time. But I love Georgia television because it's just it's my home. Memphis mm-hmm. was going through kind of a transition. They were still good, but they were going through. Tra- Mid South was about to really blow up. So there's that. Uh, you know, I haven't seen a lot of Northwest from this era. Mid Atlantic was you know at post Starcade. They had some good stuff going on. WF was going through their big change. NWA was still solid. But yeah, world class would be number one, really, right at this point in time, I think. Yeah, because like NWA or Mid Atlantic wasn't even what it was supposed to be soon yet. Yeah. And like world, world class is like the most fleshed out one yeah, of all of them. Exactly. Exactly. So there we go. So I will have some photos coming soon for you guys. So. To go along with the, with uh, your listening of this show, so be on the lookout for that. And yeah, so we'll be back soon, week maybe two weeks with our next show, and Rob will be uh, making his choice for that show. So any- yes, I'm, I'm already gonna tell you, I'm gonna pick a 1988. Okay, that sounds good. It's different, different than what we've uh, we did. We did 88. I think the first show we did was 88. That was when we picked. But yeah, 88 all, and that was early in the year, so. 88 is a great year. Yeah. You know, a lot of stuff going on 88. So that should be a really fun show. So, uh, yeah. And, uh, I should be, uh, I think the next show I, I pick up, will go even earlier than 84. So we'll see how that goes. Mm. All right. We, go are we dropping 90 on? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So. We got 90s, a lot of 90 stuff. And yeah, I got, I got a, I read them in magazines recently. So I got a lot of, uh, a lot more new magazines in. So, yeah. We got plenty of content. Ain't nothing to worry about there. All right, folks. We thank you for listening. And uh, we'll be back in a week or two of our next edition. So, for Rob, thank you, as always, for being with me. This is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Praise Abadab Dabian. Thank you.